All right, welcome uh, to the program, Hour 3, already, Hourly with Bowerly on uh, News Radio 930 WBEN, talking about the labor shortage in America. And this whole show was uh, based on a conversation I happened to have with a lady at a local drugstore who came in and she wasn't real happy about the long line in the drugstore and uh, got to thinking or got to talking about whether it was because of a lack of people to actually handle customers um, or what the deal was. And that conversation went into a whole bunch of different areas. Um, Somebody on Facebook wanted to know if I took notes. No, I, I didn't take notes, but it was easy to remember because a lot of the things that this lady talked about um, happen to be things that we've talked about before on the show and things where I agree with her. Now, I don't agree with her take that you don't talk to anybody under the age of 25. I think you got to cut uh, people some slack and not group them together as one monolithic uh, group of people. After all, Jay Withy, the Blizzard hero, he's only two years older than that. Uh, not like he's uh, any kind of a baby boomer, and he did amazing things. Uh, 803-0930, the labor shortage. Is it real or is it just a myth? Um, the employers I know, it's very, very real. But some of you have called in and said, look, I keep sending out resumes. I can't get anybody to hire me or even talk to me. 803-0930, star 930, 1-800-616-WBEN. Let's go to uh, Craig in Clarence. You are on. Hello. Hello. So, yeah, I love this topic. I'm glad I finally got to get in on it. And I kind of wanted to address a slightly different aspect of it, which is the work readiness of I, – I predominantly deal with the younger side of the conversation. But, uh, you know, I run my own business in one regard, and I've also worked in higher education for uh, going on two decades now. Okay. We don't have necessarily – so we look at the areas that – why aren't these young people taking the jobs? And I don't really buy into the idea that they're lazy or, or some of the things that are kind of scapegoating them. Now, I don't know how they survive without working. I haven't figured that out yet, but what are they capable of doing? And what are we doing to allow young people to train and develop and have experiences that make them worth what today's employers must pay to have somebody on the job legally? So, I kind of like that side of the argument, playing the devil's advocate. When I talk to my uh, friends who are managers and you know uh, entrepreneurs, and say, you know, you give me a let's say this 25-year-old that you're talking about, if they have the skill set that the previous generation had at 15 or 16, because they've never been allowed to set foot on a job, and then they were a professional sponsored athlete through high school, and then they went to college and were granted the the blessing of not having to work through college maybe as much they enter the workforce without ever having put their hands on anything. So even when they have a college education, what do they actually know? And are they worth what somebody at that age group demands? So I I think that plays into the facts. You know, I mean, as an employer, I can't have a 14 year old hanging around my job site anymore for fear of liability and retribution, much less say, Hey kid, you know, come on over here and try this, try that. So by the time that that young man or young woman is at 16 years old, they're maybe worth what I would have to pay them to have a minimum wage employee on the books. So I don't know necessarily how we do that and how we reckon it, but I think it's a factor. Uh, Now, you're obviously talking about stuff that is more uh, hands-on work. uh, I'm thinking construction, contractor, that kind of stuff. 
I am in the entry level, but even your restaurant or anything, and I don't really differentiate because we're teaching, you know, when I do these things, in the uh, one of mine is a, uh, I sell firewood, you know, that's one of my things. We meet the customer, you talk to them, you know, how you doing, where would you like it? So you have the uh, customer interaction, customer satisfaction, how to present yourself, how to look nice, you know, and the things like that. These are communication skills. They're transferable against a lot of different fields. Well, you know, you, you talk about uh, the, the fact that young people cannot get hands-on training when they're teenagers, um, and you don't think that uh, laziness is, uh, is, is a problem. Um, let's talk about the skill set of actually showing up for an interview that you've scheduled with somebody from whom you want a job. I, I Sir, I, I cannot tell you the number of times I've heard from people who have said, I had somebody all set to go, we were going to interview them, and they never showed up. They didn't call, they didn't show up. And then there's another story that I hear a lot. It is of somebody coming into work, and they work one day, and they're never heard from again. Does I that is, isn't that constantly, it, and I agree with you. But, it, but what, what, how, what, what's to blame for that? Because I can't figure that one out. Well, I would say, you know, I mean, I, I can't come up with the whole answer but back to what i was sort of saying there one uh you know not to say that this generation and my parents were great but if i went home and said i did any of those things you just described it wouldn't have been good for me so i think there's a uh, community and society involvement in that where you don't allow children to develop those kind of habits no different than you know if you joined a sports team in high school your parents didn't let you quit until you saw the season through you could not do it next year but you're going to finish what you start so I think all these little lessons that are basically uh, behavioral lessons are not so much, I mean, they're, they're somewhat about the skill set that you learn, but they're the behavior. You show up for work, you show up ready to work, having, you know, the tools you need, the you know, clothes on your body you need, boots on your feet. Uh, you look people in the eye when you talk. These basic skill sets have been lost. And maybe it's because it is a hot job market that you can do these things because if I don't show up for today's job interview, somebody else will interview me tomorrow where I don't think that these students have been instilled with the understanding that if you get a reputation for that, which is maybe transferred through your resume or word of mouth in a small town like Buffalo, that that can really have impacts on your reputation and your career. Well, let's just talk. Let's, let's talk about resume. Craig, forgive forgive my rude interruption here, but um, you're raising some good points. And before I lose those good points, I want to butt in and, and get more information on them. You, you talk about resumes. I've been in the workforce for um, a very long time, and uh, my resume I can whittle it down to one page. Okay, one page. And what I hear from employers is they're getting resumes from 20 and 21 year olds that are three and four pages long with all the jobs they've had. Yeah, I think that, you know, there's different standards by industry and maybe even resumes themselves are a little bit outdated in in a lot of ways because of the other ways that we have to learn about somebody now, you know, uh, with your social media and all these different ways that you're representing yourself online. I don't necessarily have the answer, but another part of this that just throwing it in there because I have this conversation so much with uh, young people in higher education, the pace of change is faster than it's probably ever been in history, technological innovation and, and just the changing world. Yet the people that are doing, let's say, the majority of the hiring, the decision making and the captaining of industries, whether they be small or large, 
are maybe people that aren't of the generation that can keep pace with that change. You know, I mean, I'm in my mid-40s and feel like a dinosaur relative to what these young people are knowing and doing coming out of college technologically. Dude, are you serious? In your mid in your mid 40s? Oh, sure. I mean, think about I saw the birth of the internet before I graduated high school, you know, but I didn't get to touch a computer. And by the time I was in college, my whole life revolved around a laptop. It was 4 years. Well, I'm so old. I remember the you birth know, so, of Moses, but <laughs> right. just... you look how fast all that changed. And now we're supposed to keep up with, uh, you know, and like I say, we have these conversations all the time. And it's easy to just go into this negative space and bash on young people. But we all have businesses to run, and we need to get people psyched up about coming to work and going out and making their career and, you know, making a life for themselves, which, I mean, I get a lot of flack for this. But a lot of your identity and your, your the determination of your life is going to be guided by what career you choose and who you surround yourself with. Absolutely. In your Absolutely. So it's like a really big deal, right? And uh, I'm not sure that how to guide these young people through that message. And I'm not sure that I understand the careers anymore, and I work in the field. So maybe we're all just a little uh, shell-shocked by the rate of change, and the young people included, but we're not setting them up. I mean, I always like to propose that we do something different than minimum wage. Because I hear a lot of times, where well, you can't get by on minimum wage and buy rent and all that. And then somebody else will say, well, that's not what minimum wage is for. It's an entry-level position. Maybe there should be something in between those two, an apprenticeship, a internship that isn't minimum wage but isn't meant to be lived on either or continued on. It's a small period of time where the employer can afford to invest in developing somebody who maybe missed a couple of steps from what we think they should be at a certain age. Okay. All right. Um, how about the idea that one of the reasons, again, presuming this is true, that young people do not want to work as people of your generation and my generation wanted to work, do you believe that the ability to stay on parents' health plans uh, until 26, that that has anything to do with this uh, unwillingness uh, to work or even show up for interviews? Jeez. Um, I think that's probably a little out of my depth to answer because I definitely can see arguments on both sides. The one thing I'll say is as a young person, if you're of generally good health, that should probably be a lot less important to you than maybe the fear mongering has made it out to be. Right. But no, you're, you're right. We, we talked about that during the first hour of the show, that when, when you're in your 20s, you typically don't really pay much attention to whatever health benefits you get at work. Um, when I started working full time, that was it was almost like, OK, what's my salary? Oh, it's I, I get health insurance. OK, that's nice. But what's my salary? It was, it was all about the, the money and, and not so much about uh, uh, any any health care benefits. And I mentioned this, I think, last week. But remember the good old days of the two dollar copay at the place called health care plan a health maintenance organization <laughs> um yeah I, I don't know but in the same breath how could we ever deny somebody the uh, right to affordable health care and in today's world that's a whole new can of worms right so, oh well that yeah that's, that's a tough uh, one you asked there yeah that that is that's a different story but again if we're talking about young people typically young people do not their health plan is not a real big issue um with with most young people it's uh um, most young, as you as you mentioned, most people who are young are in a lot better shape than uh, people who are older. Age is a definite uh, detriment to uh, quality of life. Do you believe that there is 
a labor shortage. Obviously, if you're dealing with students, you must also be dealing with employers. And every single person I know in a uh, who, who owns a business or who is in uh, a position to hire, um, they, they just can't find enough people. Yeah, this conversation, when it's had with uh, folks in the industry, goes into multiple, multiple hours. So, I mean, uh, I love that you've done a couple shows on it and we keep touching, but Yes, we do have a shortage of qualified workers in most industries. I, I don't really see how that is not a uh, pretty scientifically valid statement. Now, so I have, a, I have a co-worker here who is blowing up my message board saying, mention networking. So to the point of the older worker that had come on and said that they don't get a lot of hits on their uh, putting themselves out there, I often wonder, too, and Buffalo is really maybe a little bit more this way than some other parts of the country, most job placement doesn't just come from a cold call off of one of the headhunting websites or anything like that. You knew somebody that you know might be willing, you had some conversations over a period of time, maybe up to a year even, that say, hey, you know, when you become available or what you think about this, and then that develops into a job. And that job never hit the postings, never hit the stats. And those people maybe uh, in today's world are naming a little more of their own standards. You know, they they retired from job A, and now they only want to work two or three days a week, so you get two people to fill the position that are more experienced employees rather than one old one. So that's a thing. And uh, another thing that I bring up to that point is, you know, as an employer, I'm afraid to put job postings out there in a lot of cases, because you don't just get to say, well, I had a bad feeling about this person and I don't want to hire them. You have to have very solid reasons. You cannot be discriminatory and all these things. And those are very good things. But sometimes you're not being discriminatory. The person just doesn't have the skill set that you need. And you have to almost defend yourself as to why you don't employ them. So there's just this whole plethora of things that are converging. So I do think we have a labor shortage. Maybe another reason that we have that labor shortage in the Western New York area is, you know, for the 20 years that I've been a, a educated working professional, the first thing that our, you know, our biggest export in Western New York is education, right? So our educated young people come out of college and then get on the next thing smoking to leave Western New York to better their lives. The next thing how smoking. How long can you do that? So, how long can you do that before you've really impacted your labor force? Because you know, I looked at people my age group, and, you know, now they're making, uh, you know, they've got relationships, often to working families or to working individuals in the family. They're raising children who are more likely to be comparably educated to their parents. So this labor force that you're trying so desperately or need so desperately here has been exported for now going on a full generation. And maybe that's contributing, too, that we're feeling the impacts of just not having people here anymore. We've lost a ton of them. Uh, what a uh, what a very interesting thought, and I wonder if that's the reason why some of the employers with whom I've been speaking have cited refugees as a goldmine of employees, particularly uh, people from Burma uh, and people from Somalia. Uh, they're excellent employees, according to the people I know who hire them. Yeah, I mean, I think if you had to have a stereotype, I would agree with that from what I'm hearing. But now take that to a step further, because a lot of people, when you hear about refugees, you, it's a real hot button. And we talk about the southern border and people bristle. But there, there's just so much more to that whole conversation. But people automatically, their mind goes to the uh, lower end. Uh, maybe that's a bad term, but 
uh, less skilled employment. Right, but a, ref, a refugee is legal. Yeah. I mean, that, that's that's a status. That's a legal status, and it's not like illegal invader. A refugee is a refugee. It's a different kettle of fish. It is, but you have a stereotype and a stigma that goes with it. But also, the refugee or the immigrant, through whatever means, might also be your doctors, your, te- your technology experts. Uh, we don't just need them to fill our uh, less skilled employment. We're actually using a lot of that same skill set and, and people to fill. I mean, look at the doctors, look at your you know medical of all areas, look at your technology, and and a lot of those folks are you know refugees, immigrants, or first generations. Understood. I got I got a break, man. I'm glad you called, Craig. Thank you very much. Uh, appreciate hearing from you. And, uh, yeah, I've been talking about badminton, and a lot of people um, who play badminton are from the Indian subcontinent and areas around there. And, yeah, I mean, there are quite a few doctors, uh, quite a few IT professionals. Um, not, I don't think we've got any refugees, but don't hold me to that. They, uh, they, but they're all here legally. It is uh, 28 minutes after 4 at News Radio 930 WBEN. Oh, welcome. It is Bowerly News Radio 930 WBEN. Josh Schmidt is at Master Control, and uh, today's uh, topics um, kind of came from a random chance conversation I had with a lady in line at the drugstore. She was not very happy when she walked in because of the line, and that led to a conversation about, well, how come there aren't more people working back in the pharmacy? Maybe because they couldn't find anybody to work. How come the drive through window is not open? Probably because they don't have enough people to uh, take care of the drive through window. Uh, she had some other comments about uh, people these days who, who don't want to work, who leech off the system, uh, who are not raising their kids properly. I mean, she, she was on fire. I told her, you need your own YouTube channel. Um, but uh, we, I didn't get her name. I should have gotten her name. I should have had her call into the show. But I mean, she's, she's a bit extreme. She won't talk to people under the age of 25. Now, I can't go down that road with her because I think you got to cut people slack and not uh, include everybody in, in a group because just like if you're a baby boomer, you don't like it when the younger generations attack baby boomers as all being the same. Um, people who are 22 don't like being lumped into the same group with people with whom they might not have a lot in common either. So I can't go with her um, down that road, but she was certainly uh, an opinionated lady and uh, very interesting to uh, to listen to. But is there is there a labor shortage? And if there is, why? Here is uh, Bill in uh, Blaisdell. Bill, you're on WBEN. Welcome to the show. Yes, Tom. How you doing? Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it, number one. This is kind of a hot-button subject with me because um, I'm a Generation Xer, okay? Uh, I, I've worked three jobs, uh, a full-time job and two part-time jobs, and I've had ex- experience on any parts of the spectrum that you're talking about here today. Um, getting back to what your last caller talked about with the um, the immigrants or the uh people of uh, protected status, they come here from another country uh, and hiring them and that uh, a certain uh, ethnic group uh, is, is they're like a hot commodity in the market. I got some input on that. The reason why I got they're a hot commodity in the market is because when they come here, I would imagine that our government requires them to work. 
But when they come here, they're also trained about how our benefit system works. So they understand. Um, I did work with this individual. I'm not going to give his name out. I'm not going to say where I worked. This individual, we'll call him Individual X, would only work 40 hours at, I think it was $15 an hour. I can say that. Um, and the employer knew that Individual X, if he only worked 40 hours at $15 an hour, they were not required to pay health care benefits. So this individual X got his health care benefits from the system that you and I pay into. And individual X, because his income wage was under a certain amount per year, not only made him eligible for Medicaid, it made him eligible for food stamps too. Because individual X, when he came to this country, came with a wife and two children. Now, I'm not saying we should discriminate against individual X's, and their family members or people that come here legally, I'm saying we need to look at the system. The problem is the system, the system that we created, number one. Number two, my other comment here for employers, is employers running around clamoring, we don't have the workforce, we don't have this, we don't have that. Now, Tom, I'll give you a little bit uh, background about Bill here. I worked full-time and worked two, two, two part-time jobs, made 55000 a year. My wife who worked full-time at a certain spot made about 30000 a year. So me and my wife are making it on about $85,000 a year, and we had you know to go and buy a house and everything else. The, the problem is the system. They wanted to give us $250,000 on making 85000 gross a year. That's another thing. Our system is based on gross. Oh, how much do you make? I make this gross. Oh, you could buy a $500,000 house. So the problem is the system. And I want to ask you one more question, and I'm going to get off the other well, lecture. These, these have all been statements, uh, not questions, but what, what, what's the question? Well, the, my question for you is, these employers you talked to, did you ask them how much they were paying individuals or offering individuals? Did they offer them full-time medical insurance? Did they have a decent benefits package? Um, some of them, yes. It depended on the industry and the employer. Um, the service industry, the restaurants, typically no. But as you know, in the restaurant industry, your money is made off of gratuities. And uh, right. I'll tell you that a lot of the people I know who work in the restaurant business do very, very well on tips. But, yeah. so, and the, but the other employers, it varied as far as what they offer. So the problem's the system, Tom. That's the problem. There are people here. Young people are willing to work, you know, I, and I think they get part of a bad. Yes, some of them do have the, the kind of, uh, I don't know, not dependable or slacker kind of thing. But we were all that way one point or another when we were younger. Yeah, never with never with an employer. I, I must I must tell you, never with, with an employer. I do think there was a different mindset uh, when when I was 18, 19, 20 years old. Um, I do thank you, Bill. I appreciate the call very much. Um, very much. Appreciate it. Oh, uh, thank you for the input. That uh, was definitely some good stuff. Um, let's go now. A uh, guy we mentioned actually earlier, uh, he's an Erie County uh, legislator. He also owns his own business uh, called Collision Masters, and uh, he is uh, Frank Tadaro. Frank, thanks a lot for joining us on uh, WBEN. Much appreciated. Hey, Tom. How are, how are you? Uh, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Frank, uh, obviously, Collision Masters, we can figure out what you guys do uh, for your bread and butter. How hard is it for you to find workers? Because so many employers, as you know, are desperate for bodies. It's, uh, it's a severe challenge. I mean, when it comes to customer service, uh, to find a detailer, 
let alone a craftsman that can actually take the metal of a vehicle and straighten it out. That, that's just something you don't learn. That, that takes years of experience. And uh, it's a major issue in my industry across the nation. Uh, the, yeah. the, the cost of the materials are going, they, they go up four or five times a year at 10 to 11% on paint materials. So let's say a quarter red would cost you $80 is now costing almost $200 just for the material. That's uh, we're just we're just getting pinched. We're getting crushed. That that's insane. And the the waiting time. I I have mentioned this on several occasions during the program. But a friend of mine drives a rover, got rear-ended, and the replacement parts aren't going to come in until February, three months after the accident. That's when the parts come in. Well, so our action plan is if it's a car that's drivable or we can make safe to continue on the road. We're doing that. If it is a vehicle that needs to be towed in because it has suspension damage or a safety item such as a mirror or an airbag is deployed, obviously that vehicle is going to stay at the shop and we're going to do our best to get it in a timely fashion. But it's like a moving target. I mean, the late model vehicles are the ones that are the issue. They only make enough parts. These vendors are making the parts just to get to keep the manufacturers rolling vehicles off their assembly line and that's it. They're not making extra parts for these vehicles. God forbid you get in an accident. You're not going to get an airbag for two to three months. Um, what we've seen is, like, you don't know what part it's going to be that's going to be the issue. In the beginning of COVID, it was airbags. We had late model Chevy Blazers sitting on our lots. We, we had about seven of them mm. sitting on our lot for four to five months to get airbags. Mm. That, now it's the glass. We're not getting glass for these vehicles. A simple door glass, we're getting authorizations from insurance companies to get these people back on the road finding used glass if they're okay with it. And they are. They want to get their car back. It, it, I've never seen anything like this. I mean, so, okay, what, what, think about the, the labor shortage. Um, is, is there any way that you know or do you have an opinion on whether the suppliers, the manufacturers of the glass, the manufacturers of the parts, are they themselves also experiencing a labor shortage and they simply cannot meet the demand for the parts they make? Yes, that, that is, uh, there's many factors in that. There's labor there's the actual raw product that they need to manufacture the good. Um, you know, uh, going back to the auto paint, some of these paints have a, uh, they call it a fleck or a mineral that comes from certain mines in the country of Japan. And with all these uh, logistic issues, PPG, Sherwin-Williams, auto manufacturers cannot get these, these goods on their shelves. Therefore, we, some of these colors, we're starting to uh, conjure up different ways to get the car, let's say, closer, but not perfect. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's hard. Uh, the auto glass right now, I guess there's, some spe- there's very specific material that bonds the, uh, the sand at high temperatures. They cannot get this product, enough of it. So, therefore, the gla- there's a shortage of glass right now. 
So when when we talk about supply chain issues, I mean, we I've talked before about even um, pharmacies now with supply chain issues, um, blood pressure medication, heart medication, and diabetes medication, which actually has a different cause because so many people are using things like Sandexa and Ozempic for weight loss that the type two diabetics aren't able to get it for what they need it for, which is their medical condition involving diabetes. But with the uh, uh, with with the supply chain elsewhere, sure. it, it, it seems as though if every if everybody's having a hard time finding workers, uh, naturally you're not going to be able to have a work output like you did before. Well, what my professional opinion on that is, there's a couple things here. I think number one. We have a work culture that's changed. Uh, these younger generation, not all of them, don't get me wrong, but many of them are more or less living off their parents, still in their homes at 30-some years old with no work ethic. They've been handed funds to get by in school. They graduate, but they have no initiative to go out and get a job. Uh, that's been uh, something I've seen. Um, there are a few out there that I miraculously uh, come in and start applying for jobs, uh, but not enough. There's just not enough out there. Um, what, that's one issue. The other issue I feel is that, uh, you know, COVID has restructured how people make a living. It used to be you go out and make an honest buck. But if you change the thought process that the government you know, we'll come in and uh, save you and you can just stay home and we'll, pro we'll protect you from getting COVID. Stay at home and take this, this check. That has completely changed the way work ethic is that we, we're witnessing right now. We're feeling it. And uh, that's got to change. Frank, hold on, if you would. Frank Didaro is with us. He's an Erie County legislator, also the owner of Collision Masters, talking about the labor shortage. And all, see, all of these things combine to create all of these issues with the supply chain. And like I said, I know people with restaurants, they can't find people to serve. People in manufacturing, they can't find people to uh, to produce certain parts, which require a, a fair amount of training to get them out the door. And it's like, uh, it, it, I, I've never seen anything like this in my life. Frank is a little younger than I am, and he's never seen anything like it in his life. Talking with uh, Frank Tadaro, Erie County legislator, uh, legislator also uh, owner of Collision Masters. As far as your labor um, force, Frank, where do you find people? When I took a tour of your place, uh, you told me some very interesting things about a lot of the people I was seeing working on cars. Yeah, so I've been blessed. You know, we uh, our employees are treated like family. You know, we know each other's personal setup at home, our wives, our kids. Uh, we run things different. We're, we have a corporate way of doing things with the family touch. Um, you know, I will go out and get a birthday cake when I know it's somebody's birthday, and we'll take a moment, sing happy birthday to the employees. It's those little things that I want them to know that I care, that Tadaro family cares about its employees. Um, but, you know, we all got a job to do, and uh, they, they know it, and they've been very loyal to me. So I want to thank each and every one of them, and they know who they are. Um, but we, we sit there and look at each other and go, gosh, we haven't had anybody walk in for an application in over a year. Not wow. one application. On the norm, we would 
maybe get two to three just off the street come in a weekly if it's a janitor position or a detailer anything you know and in my world of auto body uh, every single position these these are lifelong positions these these are a part-time it's not just a stepping stone onto another you're, you're making a, a good wage living wage with me um, Frank, did, am I am I remembering incorrectly, or did you tell me that you had a lot of refugees uh, that you've been doing business with as employees, or did I am I not remembering that correctly? Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're right. Uh, I do have. Um, I had a. Uh, I reached out to the National Institute pre-COVID. Uh, I, there was a situation where we still were having labor issues, not as bad as we have them today. So I was thinking outside the box, and I said, you know, I'm looking for somebody maybe from another country that's here and has the initiative that wants to make an honest dollar uh, and with the hard work. And uh, I ended up having a gentleman from Burma. He seeked uh, asylum here in the United States, uh, away from his uh, country that's in total, total turmoil right now. And uh, he's here. He has his family here safely. And he started with me, and he honestly came in with a, t- a little tackle box with wow. a little hammer in it. And he came into the shop, and everyone's uh, thinking, who is this guy? He's got a little fishing box. I'll tell you what. He is one of the finest finishmen in my whole lifetime that I've ever seen. He can take a hood and straighten it out. Where in a country you just can't call the dealer and say, I need a hood. Did, they make it work. Did you by any chance mean the International Institute on Delaware? Yes. If I said it incorrectly, it is the International Institute. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and uh, you know, it's funny you mentioned Burma because I've spoken with employers who basically have raved about their Burmese employers as well as their Somali uh, employees and as well as their Somali employees. Uh, is well, it, it, coming on weekends. He's got his own key. He's a hard worker. And uh, actually, his son decided to try auto body, and uh, he's working right along his father for the last five years. Hey, uh, Frank, just a quick question. After the uh, 5 o'clock news, can you call back and can we uh, just spend a little time talking about this natural gas, the war on natural gas? Do you have time to do that? Absolutely. I got all the time for you. Uh, okay, excellent. Uh, Frank Todaro uh, is going to call us back uh, in about 10 minutes on News Radio 930 WBEN because uh, we need to speak to somebody in power here about this uh, war on natural gas. I don't mean to go all over the board on you here topic wise, but uh, we'll uh, definitely need to spend some time talking about that. 